Hey folks, it's Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel from the Woodshed Agency, and you are listening to a new episode of Successfully Funded. Here we go. Let's turn it up. Turn it up. Yeah! All right, crowdfunders. Out there in the land of startups and crowdfunding and entrepreneurship. Hope you guys are doing well. Well, if this is your first time, let me introduce myself. My name is uh, Jeff Fuzzy Wenzel. I am the CEO of Woodshed Agency and your host of this podcast, Successfully Funded. On this episode, we, or on this podcast, I should say, we talk to project creators. Um, we want to know about what's going on in the crowdfunding space. What are they doing to be successful? We like to talk to project creators while they're in the middle of a campaign or a campaign that might have just finished up so we can get the most up-to-date information. On today's episode, though, we are swinging the bat a little bit differently. Um, I felt like we could uh, have a conversation around, you know, what does it take to get a patent and to protect yourself? So today, we're going to be talking to Elizabeth Erickson, and she is an associate attorney at Quinn IP Law uh, here in Michigan. And we are going to get into the weeds around what you should be worried about, you know, how you can protect yourself, you know, what to kind of what to expect from it and what's kind of just happening in the world of, of trademarking and protecting your assets. Because, you know, this is a world right now where it is very, very challenging and the chances of you getting ripped off are high. You know, um, we've had scenarios of, of projects we've worked on where, um, you know, basically a, a CAD design was sent to, uh, to a factory in China and, you know, they, the, the Chinese factory made their own and, and, and put it on the market before they, uh, they worked on the uh, crowdfunding campaign. So we've seen these sort of horror stories and that's why today we wanted to talk to Elizabeth and this interview is fantastic. We get way into the weeds on this stuff. Um, so at the end of it, I know you're gonna be able to come out with a lot of valuable information. So with that said, what else is going on around here? Right? Um, well, couple things. One, I mean, this coronavirus thing is uh, out of control. I mean, this is getting pretty wild. Uh, it's a definitely an interesting time to live. Um, it feels like these are going to be those stories that we talk about, you know, 20 years from now, like I lived through this, the blackout, that type of stuff. Um, you know, but I, you know, I'm trying not to be in the panic mode, but I definitely did call my mom this morning and, and, and tell her, you know, Hey, um, you know, you should, uh, you should be thinking about it a little bit. And of course, the first thing out of her mouth, oh, I think it's overblown. And, if, you know, this is the Fox News watcher. And this is like, I, I understand that you're getting a lot of disinformation, but please, 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 you know, just think about it a little bit. I'm not asking you to be panicked, but I'm also telling you that, I, you know, you should have some food in the house. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Um, so I got to have that conversation with her. But yeah, it's definitely wild, man. I was not, you know, the NBA season. Uh, getting um, canceled or postponed or whatever it is, you know, the March Madness saying that they're going to play without fans. I, I, I'm, I can't, I'm, I'm somewhat intrigued to watch a game and to literally like just hear coaches yelling and sneakers. It's going to be like, I keep thinking about, you know, playing basketball in my high school days of just like a practice, like a gym practice. Like you just, you know, a coach yelling and, and you know, the little squeaks of shoes, right? Like that's an interesting element. I almost feel like, I wonder if like they should, they should like um, 
blast like crowd noise um through the through the stadium just to make it feel more real i I don't know you know it's like and why does it have to be played then at like a madison square garden or something like why don't you just play it in your own gym like you only need a court right (laughs) like you know you know a court with some bleachers i mean you could play in in a in a high school gym you know and and uh i don't know it's gonna be wild these next few weeks here i have a feeling but some other things going on here is I've also chosen this time to go back to being a vegan. Um, I was a vegan in my early 20s, mid, well, maybe mid-20s now I think about it, uh, for a few years. And, um, you know, I enjoyed it. It was challenging. Um, definitely a different part of my life. And uh, I'm on day four of being back to being a vegan. So still no meat products um, at all have gone into my belly um, uh, since, since Monday morning, right? Uh, Sunday night was my last meal in terms of, uh, you know, eating something with some meat in it, um, and, and cheese and any that sort of stuff. So boom, four days, uh, cold Turkey, just cutting it right off. Um, it does, I'll tell you, it makes, uh, it makes you feel different at the end of the night. I, um, I can feel it already just in terms of like, not feeling as like heavy after dinner, right? Like, um, or just not feeling like, like, I don't even know, maybe like a weight or something in my, you know, in my gut as it's sort of processing, you know, a, a big hearty meal. I'm just, you know, I'm still eating, um, but I'm not eating, you know, maybe as much stuff. So I don't know. And nothing really, and I'm also switching, really not a lot of process. Everything's been, been vegetables made from scratch. So of course now with uh, grocery stores probably running out of food, it makes it challenging, but we'll see, we'll see, we'll see where we are. Um, you know, I guess we're all kind of, where are we going to be in about 14 days? Cause it feels like, man, we could be all over the place, uh, in the next two weeks. But as of today, as of this podcast, as me taping this four days in being vegan, I plan on, I'll kick it. I'll hit it today. Really. It's this weekend. That'll get, that's where the challenge is. Um, but yeah, that's, yeah, that's been, that's been another big thing, you know, internally, just like, you know, since my dad passed away, the amount of internal reflection has been really through the roof for me. Um, and I'm just, you know, man, trying to t- make every decision possible in terms of streamlining, really being focused on what I'm truly working on in terms of like business. Um, you know, are we, uh, you know, are, are we doing stuff that we shouldn't be in terms of like having too many people? And, um, you know, are we doing good work? Am I eating right? Am I sleeping good? You know, all, all taking, you know, being nice to the kids, all these things, really just trying to find ways to, to truly find a, a much, much more balanced life because, Right now, it's a bit out of control. I'm not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. I do a lot. Work seven days a week, probably 70, 75 hours a week. I mean, I'm just constantly online. And then on the weekends, working at the church, that's about 17 to 20 hours a week just doing that. So it's just a lot, 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 lot. So a lot of self-reflection, um, trying to live in this sort of new uh, paranoid world that we're in right now with the coronavirus, it's trying to do this podcast, making sure that we're still putting out great information about, you know, what's going on in, in the startup land and on entrepreneurship. So there's just a lot. Oh, and by the way, speaking of, if you were somebody that was planning on coming to the March 16th event that has been canceled, uh, I was supposed to be speaking about crowdfunding, uh, at Lawrence tech university at the Centropolis accelerator. Um, uh, uh, spot at the at the university but that has just been canceled due to the coronavirus so um we're gonna maybe find a way maybe we can do it uh maybe we can do it online i don't know do it uh do it over the old uh internets but i'll say what i may have to buy some stocks in like i don't know if you can buy stocks in zoom or go to meeting skype because if the whole world's gonna be running digitally we're gonna be using uh those tools a lot so 
yeah, it would be great if we all had like really high speed internet, considering that the whole world might be working on it here at some point. But who knows? Who knows? Who knows? That's a, that's a, that's another ramble. So, all right, everybody. I think that's enough about what's going on over here at uh, One Wednesday Way over at Woodshed Way. And um, yeah, let's go ahead and let's talk about patents, right? Let's yeah, let's talk about trademarks and patents and, and protecting your IP, right? Like super, super important thing. And uh, Elizabeth was so awesome to to join us. Um, uh, on the episode and uh, uh at the end of it i encourage all of you if you guys like what you hear and you guys need some help with this please reach out uh in the show notes we're going to have all of her contact info so please reach out to her ask any questions she's she's totally uh, totally cool to take those and uh uh this was a great great conversation and i was super super excited to uh to jump on it and talk to elizabeth so all right let's go ahead and kick it to my conversation All right, Elizabeth. So the red light's on, and I'm sure you're like totally freaking out now because it's like, oh my gosh, is a, we're recording. It's oh no, I'm I'm calm. <laughs> oh, calm, all good. Okay, let's do a quick sound check. Um, so I asked this question to everybody: What'd you have for breakfast this morning? Oh man, I actually didn't have breakfast this morning. <laughs> Some coffee. <laughs> okay, all right. Anything fancy in that coffee? Just uh, no. I I like my coffee black. You know, I think I I grew out of that. Oh, I used okay. to like the um stupid big beef coffee drink with all the sugar which was no coffee whatsoever and then yeah now i now i drink it it's just black i you know, have a, a european adventure so <laughs> okay all right all right so yeah so n- nothing too fancy this morning huh i will say i did not have any breakfast this morning as well i was uh i was hustling and bustling so uh, oh i thought you were giving me shit for that <laughs> nope not at all okay. nope, right <laughs> I, I did the exact same same thing you did. Um, well, cool. I think we're sounding good. So why don't we why don't we just jump in and kind of maybe introduce yourself and and talk about what you do um, to help uh, project creators uh, uh, get patents and stuff. Tell, tell us what you do. All right, great. Uh, well, my name is Elizabeth Erickson. I am an intellectual property attorney at Quinn IP Law. And uh, just as a little caveat, the opinions expressed in this post are my own and not those of my employer. Um, just had a little legal disclaimer on there. Um, so what I do as an intellectual property attorney is I have the honor and privilege of working with um, small companies, startups, and large companies. Uh, people come to me with their ideas and they say, you know, I want to do this. And um, sometimes people don't even know what it is exactly that they want out of the law, but they say, you know, this is my idea. What do I need from you? And then it's my job to take that idea and explain to them, you know, with strategies and tools that can be used in the law to help protect and carve out that right for them and ha- give them the biggest protection possible and allow them to profit from their idea. Um, so I think intellectual property is the coolest type of law out there. I love working with it. I often joke we're like the one lawyer that people want to see because no one's there because they're going through something negative. They're not there. It's not criminal. It's not divorce. You know, they're, people get excited to see me. So it's kind of different uh, than, yeah. That's cool. When in like the stage of, let's say I'm a guy, I, I made something in my garage. I made a widget, you know, when am I starting to seek out, you know, help like what you do? Like when, when do I come to you? Is it like day one? Is it, uh, you got to come a little bit later. Like when, when should somebody come to you? 
So it depends exactly what you want. If you, you might be a guy who already has an invention or you might just want like a business name so you can start creating things under that name. So it kind of depends on what exactly you're looking for. So a short answer uh, to that without getting more specific is the very loyally answer of it depends. <laughs> um, so if, if it's an idea that you're talking about, which frequently people will say, you know, I have an invention, it does X, Y, Z, um, you want it to be in a concrete enough form that I could take it and put it into writing. Um, so you want to be able to have an invention that is solid enough. And then I would walk them through what exactly a criteria for a patent would look like. And correct me if I'm wrong, is there different sort of stages of a of like patents, like, um, you know, especially if you're getting ready to maybe do like a Kickstarter or Indiegogo, do you, are you trying at that point to be fully protected all over the globe or are you getting like a patent pending? Like what are kind of the differences of those types of things? So the, there's so many things. Um, and what I would do as an intellectual property attorney is sit down with that person and discuss with them, you know, what's feasible, what, like, what monetary constraints do you have? What, um, you know, and, and as a company too, you'd want to ask yourself some of these questions beforehand. You know, you'd want to look at your long-term and short-term goals because if you see yourself selling this product only in the United States for a time, you know, you, it may, it's not going to be worth your while and worth the amount of expense to have a patent that expands the entire globe, you know? And even then, most, even huge companies, um, you know, I, I just was at a seminar uh, called the World Trademark Review and, you know, we had huge companies um, like Microsoft and Harley Davidson, and they were saying, you know, we have to justify that expense. So a lot of companies operate on a zero balance budget, which means they have zero, and then they have to go to, you know, their boss or whomever and say, this is what we want to do, this is the value of it, and justify that expense to them. Um, so, it, you know, they don't usually patent an invention in every single part of the world, and sometimes there's reasons why you can't. There might be an invention that already exists in a certain country. Um, so you're not necessarily always able to take your idea or your trademark name or what have you and develop it into a country because it might already have exist. Um, so for trademarks, it's interesting because um, certain things might not be allowed because it might be viewed as immoral or it might be geographically descriptive in a certain region. So there's bars to entry in every single country that vary by location. So like um, if you wanted to go patent something in the Middle East, um, like the moral rights that something might be viewed as immoral might be different than what is in the United States. So we frequently see things like that. And it's, it's really interesting. And that's why I love what I do so much because it, it's just a ever involving and interesting area of law. Yeah, that's cool. Now, if I'm the guy that is, you know, again, I've made my widget, I'm bringing it to you. How in depth are you getting in terms of like, what is patentable about this? I don't know, I've got like a heated jacket or something like that. Is it like, we've got to take it all the way apart? Are you know, you're using a little bit of this other product that exists? Like, like, how are you taking this thing on? You will, I'm, I'm, you're going to own this, right? Like, this is your yeah, thing. So, like, how so in depth I is that? Well, so Technically, I'm not a patent attorney. I do specialize in litigation and trademarks, but I would um, give it to somebody else who would then look at it, the specific nature of it. And it depends too. So the, the first thing um, that we usually do for any type of intellectual property is we'll do a search to conduct what already exists out there. So um, just to avoid infringement, we technically recommend, uh, typically recommend that we do a search just to make sure you know, you're not trying to reinvent the wheel. You won't be able to be barred from getting something that already exists out there. Um, so then based on the nature of what already exists, um, there's ways to carve out a right 
of yours that's different than what already, what already is out there. And we might make recommendations um, based on things that are already out there and what you want, say, oh, you know, um, this, this is out there, but if you were to change it in this aspect, then you could have an invention that would be more likely to be eligible to be granted patent protection. Walk me through, because um, you said something just a minute ago, the differences about what you do compared to what other people do. Like, just what are the two differences? Or I guess there's probably more than two, but what are the two differences there? Yeah, so so perhaps I should uh, back up even further and just give a broad overview of intellectual property. So, um, you know, that's terms not exactly taught to you in public schools, and it's uh, it's becoming an area of increasing importance in today's business and technological world. It's like something like $750 billion annually. So really anybody who doesn't understand what intellectual property is, is kind of going to be left in the dust. And it's crucial if you're trying to create a business because the protections you carve out um, are just essential for a patent portfolio. If you've ever seen Shark Tank, the sharks will always say, oh, do you have a patent on that? And the reason why they ask that is because if you don't, you're now presenting on national television and you know, who knows, someone can come by and steal it if they think it's a great idea to do. So, um, so IP or intellectual property is the non-tangible personal property. Um, they're creations of the mind. It can be inventions, literary and artistic works, images and designs used in commerce. Um, and so legal protections are given to these inventors to help protect their innovation, to allow them to continue to create and give them the incentive to innovate. Um, and there's different types of IP that have different types of protections. So trademarks, um, something I specialize in, are the trade names. They're any word, name, symbol, um, or combination used in commerce to indicate a source of the goods. So, you know, I'm sure you can think of a couple of brand names off the top of your head, and it's just the image that you associate with it, the type of quality, that's, that's what you want when you have a trademark. Um, and they could potentially, uh, potentially last indefinitely, so if you continue to keep up with your renewals um, with the United States Patent and Trademark Office or USPTO, a trademark could last forever. Um, then we have, oh, did you do a question? No, 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 go, no, no, go ahead. I was, I was, I was, I, I just thought of something, but no, just keep, keep going with it. Cause I, I, I have a, I have a question that's coming, but yeah, keep going. Okay. Yeah. So, so we generally say there's four main types. So trademarks are one, uh, another form is copyright. Um, and that's a form of protection provided to authors of original works um, in a fixed, and any tangible medium of expression, and it can be published or unpublished. So this can be a useful tool for someone without a ton of money since a copyright is created from the second that it's formed. So if you, you know, t writing uh, like your notes or whatever, it has to be a of a sufficient uh, quality and nature. It can't just be like, you know, really short, like you can't own like, my name is Bob, you know, that's too short, I'm not eligible, but it's technically what, when you write something, it's created at the moment it's expressed. Um, so that's lasts for the life of the author plus seven years, and it doesn't prevent independent creation of an identical work, which is an interesting thing. So it's not going to be quite as broad as maybe some other things. Um, so that's why we get creative with our strategy. Um, but it is definitely a good option for people um, to have a copyright. And then patents are the big one. Um, most people want a patent. Um, and this is a right for an invention that permits the owner to exclude others uh, from making, using, offering, sell, importing. Um, so that's usually the big one. Um, and there's a couple different types. There's utility, plant, and design patents. 
And then the big last one is trade secrets. And that's pretty much what it sounds like. It, you know, hush, hush, don't tell grandma's anybody. Re- grandma's recipe, right? Is that the grandma's yes, recipe? Exactly. Yeah, recipes are a big one. Um, <laughs> yeah. Everyone, you know, the, the big example people like to talk about is Coca-Cola. Nobody knows the recipe. And only two people on the planet are know the actual ingredients to Coca-Cola. So, um, you know, trade secrets are essentially free since as long as you're able to keep it a secret. Um, and something as an intellectual property attorney um, that I would do on my end, if you wanted to have something be protected as a trade secret, is we'd help you put agreements in place in your business and understandings to help formalize the process of trade secrets, keeping things, um, documents, um, non-disclosure agreements, confidentiality agreements is another way to say that. Um, just so we make sure if someone does spill the beans, you know, there's recourse against them and to stop stop the bleeding so you can maintain that cap on your invention. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's excellent. You know, I was just thinking what, what, what popped in my brain, the light bulb went off was, um, do you, were you familiar with how like Ohio state tried to, um, trademark the, right. The, or the Ohio state, right. Like now that one, I think fell in the, they weren't allowed to, right. Cause it's so generic. That, yeah. There's, correct? yeah, there's certain things in university of Michigan was having a good laugh about that. Cause you know, they're always butting heads and they're co- sometimes called themselves the university of Michigan. So yeah, there's certain things like that, that, you know, if you think of like oat brand or like it, it describes too much of what the invention already is or what the thing is. So you can't, you don't get the right to that. <laughs> right, right. So um, I was just recently, I was in DC and I was at the, uh, uh, the Air and History Museum. Um, and they, it was interesting because they, uh, they were talking about how the Wright brothers had like trademark and patent and everything on flying, right? Like they owned the word flying, they invented it. So like they, all the money they made was off of trademarking you know, the fact that they invented this thing. But at some point that, you know, when I was on the tour, the guy's like, well, this kind of just ran out because it became so, I guess, so broad at some point. But like, is there, is there such a thing that you're looking for? Like maybe right now you own it, but at some point it's just common. It's just, it almost becomes like electricity or it comes, becomes something that's just like in our world now. Like when does that start to happen? And how, how does that like unravel from it being like, I own flying to like, not anymore. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah, I know. I I get what you're getting at there. Um, so anytime you trademark a word, we call this genericide. It's one of my favorite things to teach because it's very fun topic. Um, so genericide occurs when a term starts to be used in ways that it's not actually intended to be. So Google is actually at, at threat for this. So people say, Oh, Google that, but they mean, you know, maybe they're on Firefox or Microsoft Explorer or whatever it may be. Um, so when people start using a word to describe everything in a category, then it starts to become at risk for losing its trademark protection. That's one of the ways that a trademark can die because it can last indefinitely. You forget to renew it, um, or you could just fail to police your mark. And so policing is another um, thing that we offer for companies to make sure to monitor the web, you know, people are posting on blogs or using something in that way. There's tools that can be utilized to make sure, um, you know, and maybe education is a way to combat this. So Velcro, um, Velcro is another one, Xerox is another one. There's just a bunch is of- Is Kleenex can... there now? Like, 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 like Kleenex? There. There's a bunch of examples in this category of pe- things people just say to describe everything, Band-Aid, um, you know, there's a ton of them. Um, but Velcro has this great video and I would love to share it afterwards with you so you, you can have your 
listeners uh, tune into it because it's, it's hilarious. It's the, the lawyers at Velcro, it's actually the attorneys, um, made this video and it's really well done. It's a song actually, they're all singing and they're not actors, it's actually the, the guys and they're, they're talking about how, you know, like this is how you use it, like this is hook and loop, which is the actual name that Velcro is. Um, so please don't call, this is Velcro, this is hook and loop, so you can't use these interchangeably or we're gonna lose our trademark. And, and that's what the genericide refers to is when people start using it outside of the intended use. Interesting, yeah, I, I didn't know that there was a term for it, uh, but yeah, that's, 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 that's very cool. Um, so, you know, let's, let's kind of maybe circle back a little bit to, you know, uh, the, the back to the guy in the garage. Walk me through first step um, in terms of even just protecting, maybe not the full thing, but like, is it even like if I just protected like my brand and my logo or something along those like, or I trademark those things, does that offer me any sort of protection on like, you know, I, 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 this name equals what my product will be. Would that protect you at all just to kind of get the ball rolling? Yeah. So, um, trademarks are going to protect you when people start to try to maybe use your name or your goodwill. Um, large companies are often at threat of this. So there's a lot of benefits to registering a trademark. And one of them is custom and border patrol. So you can stop counterfeits from coming in. So if other companies that are unregistered or are starting to produce goods that have your logo on them, you know, you can go after them. You can seize the goods. You can freeze their PayPal accounts. You can reach in and get the money that they've unfairly profited by using your name and logo in commerce. Um, and it's also very dangerous um, for some companies, you know, maybe they make safety equipment or they make something that is potentially intended for one purpose. And when you're creating a counterfeit good, oftentimes it's uh, inferior quality. So it, it could be something that's causing harm to people. And then they're now associating that, that product with that of the brands. And then the brand, of course, doesn't want that because they're producing a good out of a certain quality and that's not actually one of theirs. So it can be really harmful. Um, I mean, Urban Decay, it's a, a makeup company. They're actually very highly, um, there's a lot of counterfeit goods in the market, which I find really interesting because, um, you know, makeup isn't one of those things that maybe you pay a ton of attention to. It's probably pretty easy to copy, um, you know, so if you start using a product and it's not as good quality, you know, you're like, oh, that brand's terrible. I'm not going to use it again. So that's definitely something that. Um, was, was there a, was that on Netflix? Was there a Netflix show on this? Yeah, I, I, it's actually, um, so you probably, everyone knows about like the war on China and everything. And there's been a lot of news around that. And that some, a lot of that involves around intellectual property theft. There's a ton of intellectual property theft just because of the way that the, our policies are in the United States that are viewed very differently in China. Copying is actually considered a good thing in China. It's a, it's a compliment to say, oh, we liked what you did so much. We're going to do it too. So it's, it's a totally different mindset, but just we're trying, the United States is trying to get China to view it differently because it's hurting American producers. Well, that's, that's actually a great jumping off point for my, my next question, because we've actually had, I think in the course of us doing 10 years of crowdfunding, I think we've had two projects basically get ripped off um, by China, right? So they sent their uh, their CAD designs there and the factory just tweaked it a little bit and ultimately was selling it on Alibaba before even producing the stuff that the Kickstarter campaign did, right? So they were just undercutting and truthfully, it comes down to like, there was just no call that, like we couldn't do anything. There, you know, we don't have enough budget to fight that. What, what do you do, right? Like you're just, 
Yeah, and, and that's interesting is because it's such an ever involving area that today is that um, just as the counterfeiters are very creative, it has to be creative on the enforcement side as well. So it's like a tripart network. I mean, it's the inventors, it's the, it can be law enforcement agencies and it can be other organizations such as like the elite, like I could be a part of that, trying to combat that. So we're trying to look for creative tools and it's, it's never usually like a one size fits all response or answer for any individual because it depends on where it's being sold, what sources they're using, if it's the internet, you know, how, and how do you even look up some of those groups because, you know, you're like, where the heck is this even coming from? So first you gotta kind of find who the infringer is, be able to target it down. And if it's like an ambiguous website online, there's tools that you can use to try to get, find where they're registered, use the web address, and then target that person. You can send them a cease and desist letter, which is a legal notice that, hey, you know, you've been notified that you're ripping off of our product, stop. Um, and then if they don't, you know, you can threaten further legal action if you're so lucky to find the source. Um, and oftentimes companies, uh, they're not usually like a huge, it may not be a huge threat, so they will just, you know, want them to stop. But sometimes, and it might be like getting blood from a turnip, you know, they might have such a small operation or small pools, it's not worth it legal costs to go after them when they're only making, you know, a couple thousand dollars or whatever it may be. But yeah, there's, it's, there's a lot to unpack there. There's a lot of strategies involved in um, having a registered trademark or a registered patent allows you to enforce at the border so you can register your uh, device with U.S. Customs and Borders. So that allows people to, you give them a picture of what your actual drawing is and what to look for for fakes. So they might find out for you so you don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. Um, what if, someone, if someone's importing a fake good and you can make them stop and seize it right there. So that's usually really helpful tool, especially if it's coming from another country. Yeah, interesting. You know, if the world is continuing to go as global as it already is right now, how, why does it matter where you might have made it? So let's say I make it here, but my audience is in, you know, I, I only sell it in, you know, I don't know, Finland, whatever. Like, if this is going to become, continue to become global, how does trademarks, how do we not have like just a global trademark rules as opposed to like U.S. rules? I'm sure it's different in Mexico, Canada, whatever. Like, how, doesn't it make sense that we would just have a global set of standards to some degree at some point or? Yeah, so there's a couple international agencies that try to streamline the process. Um, and we're, like there's the Madrid protocol, there's WIPO, there's all these regulatory bodies that try to make like a more centralized process to help streamline some of these things. Um, and that's why with some of these, uh, you can register things in more countries at once using a streamlined process. Um, and that instead of going to each country individually, um, instead of saying, oh, hey, Finland or Mexico, or, you know, what, what may have you all, you can register like in all European countries at once. And, you know, some, a lot of them, a lot of countries are signatories to these rules that make it easier for things to be, um, you know, patented or trademarked in more regions at once. Um, so that's really helpful. They, they, this is a, something that's been raised in the past. Um, in some, you know, most countries are part of this, some countries aren't, which makes it a little bit more of a challenge. Um, and, but then after it's submitted through these larger bodies, uh, the countries will get them individually to evaluate the, you know, for whatever criteria it may be to make sure that they are able to register it. And then you'll get registrations back from each country at uh, a staggered timing. So mm -hmm. interesting, interesting. How did you, uh, like, how did you get into this? Why, how did your, uh, you know, your uh, life trajectory get you to 
what you're doing right oh, now. I, I'm so glad you asked. Um, so when I was, before I went to law school, I worked at a lobbying firm and I worked with tech companies and worked with like Tesla and Uber and eBay. And I loved seeing people innovating. I loved the tech. Um, you know, I got to the um, lobbying wasn't for me, but it was really cool to see like Tesla come on the earlier stages. Um, this would have been like 2015 and I got to drive a Tesla and I just thought it was, you know, just seeing people create and innovate and bringing their ideas. I just thought it was like the coolest thing. I, I loved the tech. Uh, I was always kind of like an early adopter of tech and even, you know, I, was, I had the newest iPhone for a while and I just, I'm, I'm fascinated by it. I love it. And getting to be a part of that process and help people bring their ideas forward is just something I always wanted to do. And I actually entered law school with that goal. And, you know, I'm, I'm so happy that I got to carry it on. I was like the president of the Intellectual Property Law Society for a few years. So this has just been a passion of mine. Um, so I consider myself very fortunate to do something that I've dreamed of really so have you ever made have you ever made anything yeah have you designed anything you, have, you know uh, i have you... a couple ideas of things that i would like to see but you know I, it's it's it hasn't come to the table yet so i'm not gonna <laughs> spoil it here unfortunately but yeah well you'll be able to trademark it right that's your, yeah i mean <laughs> I, have, um, I have some family members who do stuff like that and i kind of help help them every once in a while but um yeah, I have. I don't have any of my own inventions out there yet. <laughs> How about for, you know for the local listeners? Because I, you know, we do have a pretty good audience size around here, uh, Detroit area. How, how is the community here in terms of supporting? Are there like in terms of resources? I mean, you and I, we met at a, uh, you know, at a meetup group, but like where, what are you seeing maybe even through like the law firm in terms of like support, um, uh, innovation going on here? Like, like what's your temperature on our area right now? Yeah, so I, I'm, I think it's awesome. Actually, there's a lot of groups in Detroit, Ann Arbor, East Lansing. Um, and since it is a growing thing, like universities have even started to create like entrepreneurial clubs and meetings that kind of bring together these resources to help entrepreneurs and to help inventors um, understand what it is they need to help connect them with resources and funds to get their project off the ground and get them connected with like minded individuals so they can have a community and place to bounce ideas off of so they're not alone. And so I really think collecting those types of people from, you know, support communities, we're in the same boat, legal sources to help get the idea grounded, and then money to that so everyone needs to get that off the ground is crucial. And so many of these areas have recognized that in different degrees, even if it's helping um, at the educational level or just bringing together those groups. Um, Meetup.com has a bunch, Eventbrite, I'll see things on there. And, you know, I'm a huge uh, supporter of networking. Yeah, I just think going to these events and getting to see faces and talk to different people from different backgrounds, the more you can listen to somebody else's point of view and really understand where they're coming from, I think it help you can incorporate that into your own and help understand what you need to do next. So you, you can totally, I mean, you just, you just never know where you're going to meet someone that'll help you. Um, so I, I think that the Detroit area is doing a lot. I think even Detroit itself is starting to blossom and I think more people are starting to pour money back into the area. Um, so I'm really happy to see all the different groups and everything that's been going on in the area of late. Yeah, that's very cool. Very cool. How about, you know, without getting into specifics on, on this next question, but what are like ballpark in terms of like pricing? And I'm sure this could be all over the place, but like when, what is somebody kind of expecting to sort of spend to at least have some protection again, early stage, early in their startup, is there a sort of a, a at least a, a goalpost between you know, or is it all over the place? 
Yeah, it really is all over the place. And again, it kind of depends on what you're looking for. Um, so, I mean, we'll offer some flat rate, flat rate pricing. We'll offer some packages. Um, you know, just kind of, we'll, we'll, we're willing to work with you and try to see like what's feasible within what your options are and what you want. Um, so I think we're, especially for inventors who don't have maybe all the resources, um, we've even um, used people who, have, who only have grant money. We're flexible about how the spending is, um, but it just kind of depends. Like obviously uh, things that are more, have more protection are going to be more expensive. So a patent is usually the most expensive. Um, right. But even if, if you wanted to protect something as a trade secret, you know, that could, that would probably be one of the lower ones if we wanted to just talk about structuring of agreements or things of that nature to help you put those protocols in place and measures to help protect your idea. Um, so we're, I mean, there's a ton of strategies and tools just kind of depending on what you want. The pricing varies based on that. <laughs> You know, so like I get a lot of questions of like, how much am I going to spend in marketing? You know, how much am I going to spend in Facebook ads? It's like, you know, a million tomorrow? I don't know, you know. Um, but I at least I'm, I'm usually like, man, you know, with all the data and everything I've ever seen, I'm always like, yeah, we're probably spending I don't know, 30 percent of, you know, of, for the year. Something is there even like a percentage that you typically? I'm like, most people are 10 percent of their budget for the year, or five percent, or is there really even in this scenario, it's not quite like that. Yeah, um, I mean, it's up to every in organization or business, depending on what their goals are. But, uh, you know, if you really want a patent, that is an awesome marketing tool. So it allows you to have the exclusive right to allow your business to use and exploit that invention um, for 20 years from the filing date of the invention. So that's it gives you a strong market uh, sorry, strong market position. Um, so, because their exclusive rights are able to prevent others from commercially using your invention, and thereby you reduce competition and establish yourself in the market as a strong player. And you're also able to get higher returns on investment. So, having invested a considerable amount of money and time in developing your product, uh, you could use this as an umbrella of exclusive rights to commercialize your invention, thus enabling you to have higher returns and investments. Um, it's also an opportunity to license. Um, so if you see this as something that you're willing to allow others to also use, you could exploit that patent um, yourself or you could sell it and license the right. So there's different strategies that you could have depending on you know, how much of your patent you're willing to share with others. Um, it also increases your negotiating power. So if your business is in the process of acquiring the rights to use the patents uh, of another enterprise, through a licensing contract, your patent portfolio will enhance your bargaining power. Um, and it also gives you a positive image. You know, if, it's kind of like going back to the Shark Tank example. Um, you know, you explain, that puts your level of expertise and specialization of your company out there so people feel comfortable investing in you. They feel uncomfortable um, with your knowledge. So it just gives you a whole plethora of rights. So it's really worth investing some of the money and time into these things because yeah. you just get that much more return on your investment. Sure, sure. How, what about a time frame for what you're talking about? Like, let's say I, I come to you and I say, I, I got to get this thing patented. You know, am I looking well, at it's, it's a long process. So yeah. it's better to bring your idea out there early, especially if you see this being a market um, that might be a quick turnaround. Um, so, you know, the earlier the better. Um, the patenting process varies considerably and it just kind of depends on what's out there. And, you know, and it usually takes a, 
at least a year. So it's, it's, it's pretty slow. Um, but there's design patents are usually faster. Those can be done in, you know, more like months. That can be done under a year. Um, so, a, you know, a trademark could be shorter than that too, under a year. Um, copyrights can be, those are one of the quicker ones. Trade secrets, you know, you already, you already have them. You just got to keep it a secret. Um, so just depending on what you need, you know, um, but patents are usually take the longest to receive a granted right on. Awesome. Awesome. How can people like reach out to you? How can they find you? Uh, if they have questions, they're listening to this and they're like, well, I, I need to get some stuff done here. How do they yeah. reach out to you and find you? Yes. So they can email me or they can call my office. Um, so the phone here is 248-380-9300 and I'm extension 140. Or you can reach me um, at E Erickson, so E and then E again, R I C K S O N at quinnipilaw.com. Cool. Are you comfortable with us putting that in the uh, show notes so people can reach out? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Awesome, awesome, Go ahead. Awesome. I, I love a shout out. <laughs> Awesome. Awesome. Elizabeth, I thank you so much for taking time out of your day. This was a great conversation. Uh, I know I've learned a lot. Um, so hopefully all my listeners out there are, uh, are learning as well. So again, thanks so much for your time. I totally appreciate it. It was awesome. No problem. I appreciate you putting me on the show, Jeff. And if they have any questions or anything that's like spins off from this, you know, I, I think there's a lot to really dive into here. Um, you know, I'd be more than happy to come back on the show and answer some more specific questions or follow up in the notes. So yeah. it'd be great. Awesome. Yeah. I will, I will let you know uh, what the feedback's like. So thanks again. Thanks so much. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Bye. All right. How about that conversation? Man, it was a solid one. I'm not going to lie. I'm, I'm really glad we did this because there's so much sort of um, gray area around patents and trademarks and whether you should get these or, you know, whether it's something you should focus on. I mean, I am uh, all on board, man. Make sure you get yourself protected before uh, you go out and start telling people in the world what you're working on because it's, uh, you know, people are, can be aggressive. So, um, Elizabeth, thank you again so, for taking time out of your day. Um, truly, truly appreciate it. I know all my listeners are uh, appreciated as well. So if you are a listener, thank you so much. If you're not, make sure you hit the subscribe button wherever you're listening to this, whether it's uh, Spotify, YouTube, uh, Facebook, I don't know, wherever you're listening, right? Um, uh, over on the iTunes, maybe, I don't know. Hit the subscribe button. And if you are a true fan, hey, leave us a review. Reviews help us out a ton, get us more listeners and get more people to, to be aware of what's going on right now in the crowdfunding space uh, in the startup space. So again, thank you all so much. Why don't we go ahead and listen to some music and uh, yeah, let's kick it off with a little bit of sugar people. All right, everybody. Talk to you all next week.